Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space is Dr. Renee Salas. And Dr. Salas is an emergency physician at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. She is also the lead author of The Lancet Countdown on Health and Climate Change U.S. Brief since 2018. And in addition to that, she was a co-director for the first Climate Crisis and Clinical Practice Symposium and co-leads the broader initiative in partnership with the New England Journal of Medicine. There are few people in the profession of medicine who know and understand the connections between climate change and human health like Dr. Salas, and it is an absolute treat to have her on the show. Our interview took place right on the heels of Yet another extreme weather event that transpired, hammering the southern United States, particularly Texas, and we frame our conversation around that. We get into some really important things in this discussion, particularly looking at the parallels between the response to COVID-19 over the past year in the United States and the response to climate change, the critical need for an active response to climate change, and how, as we, in the way that Dr. Salas describes, make climate change feel personal, we can activate people to better understand, better recognize, and better be prepared to take action around climate change. This is a critical discussion at a critical time, and it was a real treat to have an expert like Dr. Solis join us on the show. Before we get to our conversation, just want to invite everyone to please check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast. We have a rich archive on climate change on the Explore the Space website, and there'll be a link to it specifically in the show notes as well, but you can check out the whole archive www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And of course, you can find Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Please do take the opportunity to subscribe. We have lots of great content coming at a good tempo. And if you have the opportunity to leave us that rating and a review, it really helps the show out. As I said, it was a real treat to have an expert like Dr. Solis come on the show, particularly in the midst of the COVID 19 pandemic and on the heels of an extreme weather event. So without further ado, Dr. Renee Salas. Renee, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. I always like to open when we have a scheduling snafu because I feel like it always sets context and that's never more relevant than with this conversation. You and I were supposed to record last week and we are here to discuss the remarkable work that you do around climate change and helping the healthcare community in the United States and around the world better understand the impact of climate change. And in the, in the gap after we had to postpone, 
we've been absolutely rocked by extreme weather events that unfortunately have been absolutely catastrophic in the southern part of the United States. So it feels like we're doing the right work here at the right time. Yes, unfortunately, uh, the work continues to get reinforced by events uh, that are happening around our country and around the world. I mean, to to quote uh, the amazing Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, you know, this is not just global warming, it's global weirding. And as the uh, planet warms, weather is getting more extreme. So we are getting hotter hots and colder colds. And the Arctic is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world. And climate scientists are increasingly finding that this has really sick, profound implications for the jet stream and cold air making its way further south to areas that are not prepared to face these conditions. And it's been truly catastrophic and horrifying to look through the headlines and to talk with individuals I know there. And Texas is unprepared for what we what they face now and what I'm concerned that our country is not adequately prepared for what we will increasingly face. And that has profound implications for health and the healthcare system. You said a moment ago, the work continues. And I think it's important that we try to define what the work is because this is such a massive topic. It, it, no one is immune from the impact of climate change. No, no, there's nowhere on the planet that you can go where you don't have to face it in some way. So when you, as someone who is very forward facing about this and someone who knows more about this than most people and has been engaged with it, what does the work, and I kind of use mm. the air quotes, what does the work mean <laughs> for you right now? Yeah, well, you know, I sort of view this work as the equivalent of standing in a resuscitation bay, saving a patient, you know, in the sense that we stand there and we have the patient in front of us and we have a team of really diverse individuals in all different positions from nursing to doctors to students to, you know, the radiology tech working together to save that patient. And it's the same thing right now in the sense that we are collectively joined together in our common patient being addressing the climate crisis. And we need everyone at the table. So, you know, I'm playing just one small role of this truly diverse multidisciplinary platform that has to act. And there's another piece in medicine too, right? In the sense that, you know, we can give a patient a medicine in a critical window for it in order to have its optimal impact. But if we give it too late, it will not necessarily have the same life-saving effect as it would if it had been given in that critical window and the recognition that we are in that critical window right now. So we have the profound responsibility to be alive at a point in time where now is the time to act. And what we do is literally going to chart uh, the future of the planets and future generations. So from my perspective as a doctor and a public health expert, my job is to make climate change personal for the health profession as one of my key priorities, first and foremost, because this unprecedented challenge mandates unprecedented collaboration. And we need to unify and amplify the health voice around this because climate action is a prescription for better health. End of story. And then the second piece is really trying to develop an evidence-based pathway forward because we can't prepare for what we don't understand. And we need to better understand what our future looks like because we can't look in a rearview mirror anymore. The first thing I will say to that is thank you for calling out that you are a public health expert. 
it's one thing for me to say it. It's a whole other kettle of fish for you to say it. And I think it's wonderful that in this space you call that out because it is vitally important. And obviously it's in the introduction and we talk about it on social media, but you being able to acknowledge, call out and elevate your own expertise is critical so that people can see you in that way. So thank you for doing that. The, the analogy is a powerful one. And I'm struck by this fact that, you know, the idea that we're now in a resuscitation phase for the planet is the medical analogy. That's the second time on the podcast that an expert has come on and used that analogy, which to me says, wow, uh, you know, that, that that's the mindset that, that our best and our brightest are looking at this problem from who would know what that analogy actually means. And it's just, it's very striking. <laughs> it's very, very striking. Hey, I'm guessing the other is Courtney Howard, who's also an emergency medicine doctor and a, a good friend and colleague up in Canada. So um, I'm sure she inspired that way back when. So that's amazing <laughs> that you, yeah, well played. Absolutely. Yeah, she was on. And, you know, we're calling this out. We're rallying healthcare professionals, physicians around the world, but focusing, you know, on the seeing what seeing what energy there is in the United States, given what just transpired in the southern in the southern part of the country. And I just do reflect, is there energy for this? Is there is there appetite for this after what has just transpired over the past 12 months with COVID and, what, and the road that we still have to go? What is your sense from just having, you know, again, a finger on the pulse again, to, to use the analogy again, uh, of, of the appetite for the work right now? If anything, I think the experience of the health community in the COVID-19 pandemic uh, should have stark parallels for the climate crisis in the sense that, you know, in the United States, we have seen what plays out if we ignore the science, we delay action, and we have either a delayed, absent, or inequitable response. You know, people die. Our patients lose their lives unnecessarily. And we saw that on a really accelerated timeline here, but the same phenomenon is playing out with the climate crisis. It's just slower um, and sometimes more insidious in the sense that we can't always as clearly see exactly how climate change and its tentacles are truly harming our patients and bringing them to our hospitals and causing them to die. And I think there's you know, three other key parallels that I've really been struck with watching the experience of the pandemic unfold. And, you know, the first is that health professionals have a profound responsibility to elevate their voice. I mean, there I have seen more colleagues on TV uh, in order to help individuals see what we need to do to prevent transmission of the COVID-19 pandemic and how important the science is. And we need to do the same thing with climate change. Uh, the second one is the fact that Prevention is critical, right? I mean, when a patient with COVID-19 is in front of me in a stretcher, I mean, I can provide oxygen and yes, there's some treatments, but, you know, it's just supportive care. And sometimes I feel like I'm putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound when I look at how climate change is impacting my patients because, you know, a, a patient can come in with an asthma attack and I can open their airways with albuterol and other medications and give them steroids but then I send them right back out into that same environment where they are facing an onslaught of increased pollen because of climate change and air pollution, which has the same root cause as climate change, the combustion of fossil fuels. Uh, and then the third one is the fact that we have to have global cooperation around this, because just like the 
virus does not respect country borders and mismanagement in one country leads to a cascading failures around the world. The same is true for climate change. Greenhouse gases produced here affect people halfway around the world. And that was really something that struck me when I first got drawn into this. It's just the moral and ethical obligation because the individuals who contribute the most often suffer the least. And I would say probably the converse is true that the individuals that do the least are suffering the most. And, and that brings us to the point that I learned from Dr. Hayo as well, that climate change is the using that asthma analogy again, it's the threat amplifier. It's the threat itself, yeah. but more than that, it amplifies and worsens the other threats and it makes them bigger. It makes them more extreme. It makes them more dangerous. And I feel like that is one of those places where it can help people understand what it is. But I think the other thing that was in that statement that you made, again, well played by you, is calling out the root cause, the combustion of fossil fuels. We see a lot of risk shifting. We see a lot of movements of saying, you know, carbon footprint of the individual, these sorts of comments. That's not the issue here. The issue is the combustion of the ongoing combustion of fossil fuels is what is driving climate change and the threat amplification that comes because of it. The faster we move past arguing about that, the faster we'll get to coming up with some sort of mitigation. Yeah, exactly. This is the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change are these converging crises, which are unfolding against a backdrop of our country's lack of reckoning with the health inequities that have resulted with structural racism. And we have seen that play out. Uh, and it's it, it's unfortunate that it took, you know, these types of headlines and the fact that certain populations are so disproportionately bearing the brunt of COVID-19 for people yeah. to really see this play out. But I mean, I, I it seems to be more tangible. And, you know, in the that with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, we can't address structural racism and we can't achieve health equity in this country without acting on climate change. And that is tied directly to policy decisions and conscious decisions that our country has made uh, around, for example, where to put uh, fossil fuel infrastructure. I mean, we put that in predominantly minority communities and these communities are suffering the harshest impacts of fossil fuel combustion. Uh, and, you know, while that can be somewhat overwhelming thinking about these converging crises and the fact of all the decisions that were made that got us to where we are. But, you know, there's also optimism and hope in that in the sense that, I mean, first off, converging crises mean that there are interconnected solutions. So we can develop solutions taking into account all of these different perspectives that can actually allow us to rise above multiple problems at once. So we think about how our public health system needs to be more robust and, and better funded, then that's true whether we're facing climate change or the next pandemic, or we're looking to try to resolve some of the health inequities present in communities. And, you know, the other piece too is that there are near-term benefits of climate action. You know, oftentimes we think, okay, well, you know, we're doing this for the next generation. And, and yes, I mean, obviously that is a driving force, but air pollution can get better in a short time span. So if we move away and transition away from the combustion of fossil fuels as our energy sources and move to renewable energy, we can start seeing the health benefits 
in a really short time span, as we've seen, you know, horizons clear up during the pandemic. I mean, people have seen uh, mountain ranges that they've never seen before. Right. I was just going to say that's exactly what we saw. Yeah, Yeah. we saw like the Hollywood sign becomes this beautiful (laughs) shimmering, the Golden Gate Bridge, all of these things across the Bay Area, you know, these empty freeways. I was going to say that was very, that was a very striking thing that came out of the pandemic as well. It is interesting, though, you know, for you and I, as I hear you speak, and I have that visceral reaction of, yes, you're saying the important things, and boy, does this resonate. But I have to also reflect inwardly and say, for me to have this conversation for you as one physician, as one human being, I get fired up about it because I'm in like that, that sense of like full agreement, let's go, right? It's, it's, it's motivating, it's galvanizing. You and I could kind of go back and forth for the next 20 minutes and just get each other really riled up. But we (laughs) would then have to ask ourselves, what have we accomplished? And so my question for you as someone who is good at this, let's just you're you're an expert at this. And when I say this, right, it's the it's the multifaceted. It's the jigsaw puzzle assemblage of climate change and climate change action. What is the first thing we need to do to begin to activate others to have that same visceral reaction so that when they hear the interconnected nature of structural racism as drivers of public health, they don't get angry. They say, yeah, I got it. I'm, I'm on board with that. I understand the impact. Oh my gosh, I can see what's happening in my own community during these extreme weather events. And now I am ready to take action. Wow. I, yeah, you're right. I understand that when we, we, we weren't driving, the, the air cleared up and the air quality got better. I like that. I want to see more of that. How do I take action? How do you and I move out of the podcast bubble where like we're just ready to beat our chests and get out and yell and scream? How do we how do we move that so that it becomes something that is scalable and scalable quickly? You know, the first thing I'm struck with with what you said is having people realize that they see it. Um, And I think that that has been one issue that perhaps has sort of delayed activation around climate change is that. There are, I mean, we're fighting against psychological barriers, right, in so many ways, uh, and we are in a very polarized moment in our society. And so our social structure and communication uh, is – there are a lot of challenges against thinking about how to really activate this widely. But it still comes down to that, you know, if – I have to believe that once – if people can see the connections to health and how it, climate change disrupts healthcare systems – I mean, health is really the way to make it personal. I mean, yes, climate change is also about polar bears and icebergs. And trust me, I love polar bears. But, you know, that's not necessarily enough for me to to somehow integrate that into an already overburdened cognitive space uh, and a, a life, right, that has been set up. I mean, honestly, right, in ways that are is not conducive to living a sustainable life. And So, you know, I think that as we make these connections with health and help make it personal for for the person sitting in front of us, you know, there is, as we've previously discussed, climate change is what, you know, call a meta problem. I mean, it underlies so many other major problems affecting our society. And as you said, a threat multiplier. So it makes these problems worse. So good thing about that is the fact that I can literally connect climate change to anyone somehow. There's some way that it connects to their health. Uh, even if they are the healthiest individual in the world, they probably still try to go for runs in, in outdoor environments where they are exposed to heat and different air quality impacts. 
So we can find ways to make it personal for the patient in front of us. And I think physicians and studies have supported this are truly powerful messengers to communicate this. There was a, a wonderful study by Edward Maybach and his colleagues, who's a climate communications expert. And they found that compared to sci climate scientists and WHO and friends and families and even religious leaders, the number one person that individuals would listen to in regards to climate and health was their primary care physician. And nurses are even a, a more trusted profession in, in some polls than uh, physicians. And they spend, you know, oftentimes, at least in the inpatient setting, more times with patients. So that is a powerful conduit for us to begin to just make connections for patients. And this, it, our obligation as health professionals is to improve health and save lives. And we cannot at all do that for our patients without adding a climate lens, as I like to say, or kind of integrating how climate is affecting their health into our discussions. Uh, so if there's, I'll give an example. And, you know, if there's a patient sitting in front of me who has asthma, again, talking to them about how pollen levels are higher um, because of climate change, and then also equipping them with information. So how to check uh, pollen levels before going outside or ensuring that their medications are optimized uh, before they head into a high pollen season, uh, or thinking about air filtration systems and weatherization of their home. You know, these are, are things that we can equip our patients for. And then suddenly, right, climate change is personal because it's like, oh, wow, I am being impacted right now, right here. This isn't a far off distant threat. And we can start to address some of those cognitive barriers. I think one of the cognitive barriers that we should acknowledge, too, is that when you and I have these conversations and physicians and nurses have these conversations and we reference doing things for our patients, we have to remember that we do that to keep to keep them at a distance in a way, right? To keep them at, a, to, at an arm's length, to keep a little bit of separation so that we can do our work. Otherwise, it does become very personal and it makes it hard to do our work. I think you as an emergency mm. physician have experienced that. I've certainly experienced it, you know, talking with my dad who was a nephrologist and knowing that we, we do that. In this space, though, we have to remember that it is a coin flip of who is the patient when we're talking about the impacts of climate change, because it doesn't care that I have a degree or you went to medical school. You know, the impact is the impact. And in terms of making it personal, right, having been through extreme weather events in, in the North Bay of California and what's happened on the West Coast for the last couple of years, no, there's no safe harbor. And it's important yeah. that as we talk about this, it's a total coin flip of who's going to be the patient and who's going to be the one, you know, doing the counseling, doing the teaching, doing the doing the supporting or the rescuing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're all in this together, right? Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, we have to make it personal for each other as well, I think, in the health. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's something that, you know, we launched last February, the Climate Crisis and Clinical Practice Initiative in partnership with the New England Journal of Medicine and, and some other institutions kind of here around the Harvard ecosystem. And we brought together all of the major hospital systems in Boston together to talk about climate change and how it's impacting our day-to-day -day work. So our clinical practice and our ability to deliver high quality care. Uh, and, you know, that is that... I was told it was the first time that all hospitals came together uh, and because normally they compete. Right. So where they set that aside <laughs> right. and they even gave us money to do this. Right. So that, you know, money really speaks. So they help support uh, the symposium. 
And we're looking to try to do that now in other countries or I'm sorry, other cities, you know, around the U.S. because we can talk about it and we need to talk about it and the themes on the meta level across the country. But we also, you know, we think about how to actually implement it locally, the geographic diversity of how climate change is impacting health and disrupting healthcare and impacting our lives is different across the U.S. I mean, we've seen that play out. If it's, you know, you experiencing wildfires, I'm experiencing more Lyme disease, you know, people are experiencing more intense hurricanes in the South. And so because of the geographic diversity, we can't actually implement this without having those discussions at the local level. But then again, that's how it becomes personal for health professionals to saying, wow, I didn't realize that my clinical practice was being impacted here. You know, I might know all the information in the world, but if I'm standing in a hospital that has no power or no intravenous saline, uh, which occurred as a result of Hurricane Maria that uh, disrupted production. So we had shortages here at my hospital at MGH. And so you can, patient came in, vomiting, diarrhea, they expected to get an IV, right? I mean, that's just commonplace. It happens on TV. And then you can imagine their surprise when I hand them a can of Gatorade when they didn't meet certain criteria. And it was enormous opportunity for discussion. But I mean, we've already seen kind of how supply chain disruptions can play out. And this is only going to get worse. But so I, you know, back to your point that that, you know, that makes it personal in our day to day. But we are not only professionals, we're also humans who who have families and lives and our our own health is impacted. And so I think as we all sort of recognize that and truly just come together as as humans right around this and recognize that we are all vulnerable, although, again, recognizing that certain individuals and communities in the U.S. and the world are more vulnerable. And thus, you know, we have to let the equity piece and the injustices also drive our work for those of us who are currently more fortunate. You know, I think on this show, we've talked to- on a number of occasions around how physicians and healthcare workers to try to help the public understand this, that physicians and healthcare workers are whole people. And that separation mm-hmm. of, you know, doctor, patient, those things that we do, we are still whole people. But I think it's time for us to now look inward and to say again, we're whole people. It's okay for us to say that this scares us too, and that this can affect us too. And if there is a shortage, it's going to impact us too. And if our community is affected by inequities and these sorts of huge cataclysmic issues that we're coming to grips with, it's okay to acknowledge that we feel affected by all Mm -hmm. of it and, and, and are compelled to take action around it. Do you feel like that is a way to get our community, our professional community to become more engaged? Because let's also be transparent. The opportunity for engagement, you and I are excited about it because it's huge. It is, it's, it's massive. We haven't, we, we haven't started. We just haven't started. Yeah. It's, I mean, anything that's this massive means that we need all hands on deck, you know? So it's, it, it also means everyone, and I, I literally mean everyone, uh, has a role to play. Um, so whatever your, whoever's listening, you know, whatever your role is, there is a way for you to make a difference in this. Uh, and it can be, it will be enormously profound and we need you to. So yeah, you bring up, I mean, it's a point I think that has really been coming to light and exposed even further with the COVID-19 pandemic. And you know, it's the mental health piece, right? I mean, that's sort of the part of the underpinnings of what you outlined. And it's, I mean, we've, the COVID-19 pandemic, and I can speak, I'll just speak for myself, has been 
it's been intense and it's been hard. And I have cried more in the past year than I've, you know, probably cried in my life. And it's, you know, it's, it's, especially during sort of our surge, you know, coming home from a shift, um, you know, it kind of required me processing right before I would sort of see anyone else or talk to anyone else. And we, you know, we have to recognize that because we've seen, you know, there've been cases of, of our colleagues who have taken their lives and we have to recognize the mental health impacts of our current moment, but recognize that that's also playing out on a much longer time scale and maybe again, more insidious in regards to the climate crisis. So people talk about eco grief or eco anxiety as we face these existential challenges. And it's, yeah, we have to talk about it and we have to recognize that when people feel these things, they're not alone. Um, I've definitely have grappled with it. Uh, it's hard to immerse myself in something of this scale and the potential impacts of this. If we, if we aren't able to do what we need to do, without having moments of, oh, I don't know, can we do this? But every time I have those, you know, the things that bring me out of it are looking at the people around me and individuals that I work with in this space. I mean, we encourage each other. And as this space grows, you know, that community of support and encouragement to help move all of us forward and continue to inspire us to do what we need to do every day, despite uh, the, the weight of it. I think that's how we, how we do it. You know, it's striking to hear you say that because I live in a community where individually and collectively we continue to struggle with the impact of, as you say, eco grief, eco loss, right? We've had catastrophic wildfires over the past four years that have just shattered this region and the mental health impacts are incalculable and we are still struggling with all of that. And, you know, coming home crying and things like that. I mean, I watched my hometown burn in 2017 and, um, you know, we all went to work and did the best that we could and we're still struggling with it. I mean, that was a a night of a lifetime. And it's one of those things where in that space we say, well, there's, there's just no alternative. We have to continue to move forward. All right. I'm in the middle of my life. I have a family, I have friends. We still want to have the best and richest life that we can and to try to encourage the shaping of every variable possible so that everyone can aspire to that, right? It's it's in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is what we aspire to as a nation. This is the critical time though, but the, the calling out of the impact of it, of these sorts of things, it's just massive. And again, it's acknowledging it and getting it out beyond you and I, where you and I have experienced it, acknowledged it, recognized it for what it is, and helping other people to see this is what you're experiencing, you're not alone, and here are the tools to to deal with it, is, is vitally important. And so as that appetite grows, and as people say, this is huge, where do I start? How do I talk with someone? How do I learn more about it? Do you have, as an educator and as an expert, do you have the first set of resources that you have for people like, Hey, let me just text this one to you. Oh yeah. Cool. Thanks for Thanks for calling me. Let me just send you this one thing, or let me send you this two things or, Hey, check out this video. Where do you send people when they ask you for that sort of introductory course? Before I I dive onto that, I just want to say one other quick thing in reflection to what you said. And that's the, the fact you brought, brought up the sort of declaration of independence and kind of the, what our country is stands on. And I just have really been struck as I've seen us get divided by certain things and that is what makes headlines. Right. And so oftentimes you can think we are 
perhaps there's more that divides us than what actually joins us together collectively. But I, it's, I know fundamentally that what joins us together as a country is far greater and far more immense than what divides us. And I'm struck with, you know, is climate change that, that, that existential challenge that can truly bring all of us together and set aside our differences to say, okay, we are going to tackle this together because it's the only way that we're going to be able to optimally tackle it. And I, I fundamentally believe that we, we can, and that be what, what, what does bring us together. So I agree. Uh, yeah. And then to dive into, you know, so I, you know, it depends on sort of who the individual is, but I think, you know, really high level, if they just want to try to get their head around it, cause it's, it's a complex topic, right. And people can get yeah. lost in the weeds. So there's a, a perspective that I did with Karen Solomon, who's a deputy editor at the new England journal and, we sort of, it's an interactive, so you get to click around and play in it. And so you can click and sort of start from the combustion of fossil fuels and look at greenhouse gas emissions and sort of work your way down to, through the climate drivers and then into the different exposures that impact health. And then you can actually click on different uh, organ systems and then see kind of what the impacts are. So, you know, I and it actually, when you open it, it starts out with the organ systems and the whole concept and the reason we developed it that way is thinking, you know, if a cardiologist is like, OK, why are greenhouse gases important to me? They can actually start through the lens of what they know so they can click on, you know, the cardiac box, see what the impacts are and then sort of work their way upstream in order to see sort of how all of this is actually bringing the climate crisis to their doorstep for their patients and for their practice. And then we also have a section on the uh, health effects, or I'm sorry, the uh, healthcare disruptions and sort of trying to understand some of the larger systemic uh, issues that affect our ability to deliver optimal care. So that's sort of like a high level cliff notes, like, okay, let's just get my head around sort of the big picture. And then, you know, if you, people who really want to sort of dive in and really learn more, I mean, there's some amazing free courses and my colleague, Dr. Ari Bernstein, uh, he created this phenomenal course on Harvard X or edX. So it's like a free platform and he has a whole course that you can take to really dive into the specifics. I also sort of will throw out there that, you know, the Lancet countdown brief. Um, so the, the Lancet Countdown is a global research consortium that publishes an annual report every year that tracks through indicators how health is being harmed, so what the threats are, and then framing the opportunities through the health lens. And so we get disaggregated U.S. data, and we create a, a U.S. brief every year that uses the, the new data for that year, plus supplementing it with other peer-reviewed literature. And so, for example, the one that we launched uh, in December, you know, really focused on these converging crises of the COVID-19 pandemic, climate change and systemic racism to try to show kind of this interconnected nature. And but we also tried to highlight the interconnected themes and the fact that we can make policy decisions and um, both nationally at the state and local level in order to rise above and begin to address this in an interconnected way. So those are sort of just a three that I would sort of highlight. And then there's there's an amazing climate and health textbook for people who are like to read instead of watch videos. And that's uh, led by Jade Lemery at University of Colorado. And uh, so that's another great resource for for those who love to curl up with a book. <laughs> it is good to know, though, that the resource base is is already this rich. And if people do feel that sense of I don't know where to start. You know, there'll be links in the show notes, obviously, to this episode and you can share this episode. But it's 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 a quick it's a couple of quick clicks away 
I think it is important, though, that you vet whatever you do look up, because we also know that just like so many other issues facing our time, and as you called out earlier, the misinformation is there, too. And so it is important that you look for the names of experts like Dr. Renee Salas when you're looking things up and to click on places where you know that the information is the best available science so that you know you're getting the right stuff. Renee, this was tremendous. You know, like you said, this is a huge issue. We we will never cover all of it in one episode of Explore the Space, but certainly would love to have you back at some point. As we move forward, though, if people are interested in following the work that you're doing specifically, you mentioned the Lancet Countdown. We'll have a link to that. How else can they follow work that you're doing in, in shaping the conversation and activating other people around climate change and the fact that it's 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 here and we're in this we're in this place together. Yeah, I mean, I think that my work going forward will focus on sort of the next evolution of the of the uh, Lancet countdown, and then the second piece is again that I mentioned earlier that climate crisis and clinical practice initiative. So how can we really begin to sort of systematically and comprehensively tackle this within the health community? Um, and we are going to need for for both of those projects. Uh, we are going to need to start building sort of this these this army of individuals, right, to be galvanized around it and to take part in some way. Uh, so there'll be enormous opportunities there. And, you know, the other kind of thing I'll leave is that for health professionals listening, the uh, Medical Society Consortium on Climate Change and Health, they are a consortium of different professional societies uh, for a variety of, of specialties that have really recognized that this is uh, a profound issue that we have to address in medicine. And so you can join if you're if your medical society already joined, then there's sort of a conduit there to sort of the larger uh, group. But if they haven't joined, then get your society to join. It's actually a really easy process uh, in regards to having taking the document and and getting it uh, sort of approved. I bring that up in the sense that there are sort of going to be increasingly more and more ways. And the we are the goal of this, all of this work, I think, is to truly make sure it's a collaborative platform. So we are amplifying and building upon what is already happening because this issue is far too urgent to try to recreate any wheels. And uh, we need we need profound ideas. So, you know, if you have ideas on things that need to happen, we want to hear them. And so, yeah, join us because we again to stress the theme that we have already uh, discussed many times through this conversation is we we have to do this together and this really is going to require unprecedented collaboration. This is the right note for us to send us all as participants in this conversation out back into the world and to look at things differently and to to hopefully start to act in ways that are effective, acknowledging that it's not going to be what we do in the next hour, but over the next weeks and months and years, but it is that collective effort and it is that summary of time spent. So for all of the insight that you shared with us and for the work that you're doing and the way that you've helped to frame this for us at this critical moment, this was just tremendous. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. My thanks once again to Dr. Salas for joining us on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. There's a ton of great references that she provided during the episode. There are links to all of them in the show notes. Please take advantage. Please take a look there. This is an episode that's worth archiving and sharing. This is a critical time as we talk about. And the more we are able to individually grapple and grasp this content and 
then extend outwards into our communities to help people better understand what is happening with climate change and the need for immediate action, the better we will be. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thanks to you so much for listening. Always appreciate you taking the time to listen to Explore the Space podcast. Definitely subscribe wherever you like to download your shows. Please leave us that rating and a review. You can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show. Email me, Mark, at Explore the Space Show. Please do share the show with your friends, your colleagues, your family. Really appreciate the support. really helps us out. We will be back soon with more great content. In the meantime, make sure to wear your masks, maintain physical distancing, wash your hands, take care of yourselves, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.